Hello and welcome to Healthline 3. I'm Terry Simmons. Today we're talking with Dr. Jonathan Davis with Piermont Cardiology at Willis-Knighton. We're going to be talking about cardiac prevention. We'll be taking your calls throughout the show and as a reminder, please make sure that you're in a quiet room with your TV turned down all the way so we can hear your questions. And the number to call is 318-219-4569 and you'll see it across the bottom of your screen throughout the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank we you, I enjoy it. talking about prevention, so I'm excited to be here. It's very exciting, I really love this topic. It's something that we don't think about um, unless we have had some condition or something in our family. So let's talk about, first of all, what it means by cardiac prevention. Th there's really two t types of prevention. There's primary prevention, which is preve the prevention of the initial heart attack or stroke. At least that's how it's defined in our medical literature. There's secondary prevention, which is what you really don't want to find yourself in. You've had an event, you're scared, and you don't want to have a second one. So there's really two places that prevention really enters our thinking. Right, and so we're talking about preventing. First of all, how soon, how early should someone think about this? You know, I think this starts earlier and earlier. We have an epidemic of diabetic kids epidemic of obesity. We're in our practices seeing patients come with heart attacks or strokes at younger and younger ages. We're more sedentary as a culture. Autopsy studies from Vietnam have well demonstrated this, this pathologic fatty streak that becomes blockage or plaque or whatever word we want to use as people age. So the, the substrate's there for us to be heart patients at an early age and our early health behaviors can influence whether we become heart patients or vascular patients later in life. So it, it, it's important to recognize that we're all at risk. This disease does not discriminate. It doesn't discriminate, unfortunately, sometimes between patients who are, appear healthy versus those who don't. And it's awareness, and you have to have a marathoner's mentality because it's not the yo-yo that we're all so prone to do, and that's just human nature. Right, and you bring up so many good points where so much you can't tell by looking at someone, and we hear these stories all the time where someone was running or jogging or out walking and they just, they had a heart attack or their heart failed, something happened. You can't tell by looking at someone, you can't tell, you just don't know. I have a patient who um, I can see his face right now, and, and he's a runner in the running community, and he completed a, um, a 10K event, had a heart attack that night, came to see me the next week, has three stints now. He and I have run some races together since. He's about to run his 17th Boston Marathon on Monday in a couple weeks. And, um, and so everyone in the running community said, if it can happen to him, uh-oh. <laughs> and so it really, when we have patients who we perceive are healthy that, that get struck with this, it makes everyone take a step back and look and say, what do I need to be doing? Yeah, and it's such a good thing. Let's talk about that because those come up, but then that, that question, that second question is, then what did happen to this person that seemed all healthier? What possibly could have been going on? Well, this disease lies indolent for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so we all develop plaque and we can measure plaque with some new tests that are available now in, in a screening mode. And what we need, there's two diseases. There's the stable plaque that doesn't do anything to us. And then there's the acute event. And it's kind of like a volcano. Volcanoes lie dormant and then sometimes they erupt. And when they erupt, 
it's unpredictable and sometimes catastrophic. Sometimes you get some, the, the seismologist can tell us that there's something, there's a tremor and something can be happening. And that's the symptoms that we subtly don't necessarily recognize as our heart or we want to really ignore, denial, right. and then something happens. And so usually the plaque lies kind of quiet and then the plaque can change suddenly and then there's a clot in the vessel and somebody's having a heart attack and then and off to then then they're in secondary prevention mode mm -hmm. secondary so you don't necessarily anyone can do this today watching if you feel healthy you don't even have a history of any kind of heart condition in your family anyone can take note today and say you know i'm just gonna i'm gonna prevent this i'm gonna do what i can to live a healthy lifestyle oh absolutely right? absolutely you know i think it it takes recognition of the the things that we know we call them risk factors some some you can change some you can't mm -hmm. you can't change your birth date so this is a disease that tends to uh, manifest itself in 60s 70s and 80s you can't change who your parents are i would say that there's a caveat to that families that have bad health behaviors have the same health outcomes there certainly are genetic components that you can't control um, and then there's a whole list of things that you do control you can control how much you exercise and, and that gets more challenging as patients age and they, they have joint pain and arthritis and so there's different different hurdles to overcome to being physically active as we get older sometimes you have to forego running for walking or you have to forego walking for water aerobics you know and one of the sad things i sometimes find in my practice is patients don't even feel safe walking in their neighborhoods so when we think about impediments to some of this prevention, there's a lot of nuance to it. Um, some of it takes self-recognition, some of it takes recognition from their healthcare providers, and some of it, it's a community thing. You know, if you're labeling best communities for exercise, sometimes our southern cities don't fare too well. Some of these bigger cities with greenways and walking areas, so, you know, so people need to feel safe when they're doing it. They physically have to be able to do it. And we know there are thresholds of exercise that are important. 150 minutes a week of aerobic exercise, walking, reduces risk by 30 to 50%. I say that over and over and over in my office. And my patients know I try to practice what I preach. I get out early in the morning, and they're, you know, we live in the south, we, uh, hot, humid climate. <laughs> it's not going to be hot today. But, you know, there's about 12 weeks here where the weather's perfect to exercise. It's either too hot or too cold. And so I tell people they got to figure their way through that. If you're going to get out and walk in your neighborhood, you got to do it early in the, su in the, su in the summer. You got to put gloves and a hat on in the winter. And, you know, you got to kind of be like Nike. You just got to do it. <laughs> That's right. Just do it. And, and we can all find time to just, even if it's just, a, you know, starting with a few minutes, because you start to really love it and, and want it. Your body loves it and wants that. So you'll find yourself doing more as oh, you get started, Oh, absolutely. Right? I yeah. mean, it's, it's a great, it's a, you know, we have a huge anxiety problem. And anxiety then tr translates into blood pressure, increases heart risk, all kinds of, of things like that. And so I find that exercise is a great stress reliever. 
it's good for my brain health, it's good for my bone health, and I know it's good for my heart health. So it's a, it's a, there's no, there's no side effects from doing it, except <laughs> you hurt some. Right. Um, but all the health benefits are, they're, they're, they're a lot more numerous than what I just said. You're right, and I like you touched on all the emotional things that walking and exercise helps. Grief, everything, oh. grief, depression, get out and get some fresh air, just get outside, you know. And speaking of that, we have a caller for you. Hi, Janice. What is your question for Dr. Hello, how's it going? Hello, John, Dr. John Davis. This is Janice Bruner. This is your patient. Hey, Miss Bruner. How are you this Hello. morning? Oh, I'm so glad to see you, doctor. I just want y'all to know y'all got a good doctor, Dr. John Davis. A good doctor. That's my heart, Dr. Nagler. It was all my heart. <laughs> You're very sweet. Thank you for calling. Yes, sir. Okay, thank you. Thank you right. so much for calling, Mrs. Brenner. We appreciate that. So that is one of your patients. It they is. just called in to let us know. We got a good doctor today, and she enjoys. Thank you so much. That is really a nice thing to see in our community. This is why we love our viewers, and we love Healthline 3. Uh, she's a sweet lady. I've taken care of her for a long time, and it, it warms my heart to know that she's appreciative. Oh, my gosh. It warms mine just hearing it, too. And that's another thing that we can hear, just hearing the joy in her voice and the family members. You can hear in the background just supporting that. And so it really does make a difference. They're happier, the joy in there, taking care of herself, obviously. Um, it really does. It helps everything, this prevention and taking care of your heart. Well, and I think, you know, family is important for a whole host of reasons, but family is also important in health. Um, you know, health behaviors are not um, isolated. So if parents have good health behaviors, children have good health behaviors. If you have good health behaviors, you have good health outcomes. And so, um, and that starts with, e you know, what you eat, whether you exercise, your mental approach to ha how you deal with, we choose positivity, and, and that's an important mindset to avoid. We live in a, we're living in times right now where um, it's easy to ha be pessimistic. Absolutely. Well, we have a caller for you. We have Tom. Hi, Tom. What is your question for Dr. Davis? And a very good day to both you people. How are y'all doing today? It's wonderful that y'all on TV. Jonathan, uh, the only thing I, I, I need to know is how is that wonderful, fantastic staff of yours doing? They're doing great. I recognize your voice already. You can take you out of South Louisiana, but you can't take the voice out of you, that's for sure. Uh, you doing okay? Too many, too, oh, yes. Too many, eating too many nutrient crawfish. <laughs> No doubt. You, the, the shrimp you, you gave me for Christmas were good. You tell those wonderful women that you work with that I miss them terribly. And whether you like it or not, I love you too. Take care. God bless you, sir. I know who you are. I won't use your name on the TV. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tom, for calling in. This is wonderful. This is great. I love this. And I love hearing, again, like you said, perfect timing for Tom to call in and sound so happy and joyful. We were talking about a positive mindset. Oh, that guy's got the best mindset. You know, he, you can tell um, he's from South Louisiana. <laughs> His wife happens to be a physician in town. And, um, you know, and he's had some health worries over time. And um, he, he, he gets out and does his aerobics. Um, he doesn't always make maybe the best food choices. We work our way through that. 
<laughs> well, that's part of enjoying life too. As we were talking earlier, you were sitting in while we were doing one of the doing the news, and we were talking on the break about moderation, and we were looking at um, one on our community caravan there, and we were talking about Big Zach's restaurant. And it's such great food, and we can eat that, eat it in moderation. They, they have healthy options, also. They're lovely fried options, and we're in the South. We love this food, and we were talking about go to those lovely, wonderful places to feature community, but also just eat in moderation. We can enjoy Absolutely. It. I mean, you know, if you look at Weight Watchers, they give you a cheat day. Mm -hmm. We're not going to be perfect. We have to be consistent. You know, when you're when you know you're going to get off the rails a little bit, you have to get right back on the bike and and it's a marathon, so you're not going to be perfect and you're going to you're going to eat some of that stuff. It's just uh, we have a salt and sugar addiction. You know, people don't think about those as drugs. Um, but it's uh, our food chemists and food scientists have really done a good job of uh, helping us get addicted to that and crave that. And so there's, there's a reason why there's a, a chocolate-covered pretzel. You get the salt and the sugar, and you're never, never not satisfied. And so it's, it's managing that in a climate where we live fast-paced lives. We're living in and out of fast food places. Um, I, I, my patients know I, have a, I usually lecture about, I call it the SSBs, the sugar-sweetened beverages. I believe you shouldn't drink your calories. And, um, and one of my partners loves to tell his patients, um, one mile is one cookie. When you go out and run a mile, walk a mile, it's the same calories burned. It just takes you less to run than walk. 110 calories. 110 calories per mile on average, roughly, for most of us. So when you look, you know, you can have a Hershey's Kiss, 70 calories. So patients in my office, when we're talking about weight, and nobody likes to talk about it, um, it's a consistency it's a food quality issue. It's a, a little bit of ins and outs. You got to spend more energy than you take in, and you got to maintain that negative balance for a while um, while you're changing your metabolism. I used to have this: you got to you got to burn more calories than you take in. That's part of the story. The quality of the calories, where they come from, matters too. And so we know, and this comes back to some societal things. We have patients who live in food deserts, and the food desert, you know, is a place where you walk into a, a local pack-a-sack, for lack of a better word, and you see the food options in there, and there's not fruits and vegetables and those sorts of things. And so we should be eating five fruits and vegetables a day. I'd challenge you to look at an average week, keep a food log, and see if you can do it. Um, I, don't, I try to. Um, I take an apple to work. My wife said, your same apples in your same lunchbox <laughs> from Monday. So I haven't eaten my apple yet. I promised her I'd eat it today because it's going to get ugly before, <laughs> before I eat it. But, um, but five fruits and vegetables is even a struggle, much less hitting the 30 minutes a day, much less going and having a cardiac evaluation with a, with a cardiologist or a healthcare provider to assess your risk. And so you can see there's a lot of ways that prevention is unsexy. There's no test for it, or there are some tests for it. We should talk about that. Mm -hmm. um, but 
um, it's a it's a conversation it's an ongoing conversation and most of the patients know it and so they're all we're all gamblers how long can I get away with X behavior before something happens so that's really the the primary prevention piece and you know I hear it all the time you know my grandfather smoked unfiltered camels and died at 97 <laughs> uh, he was a good gambler yeah <laughs> he gambled well you know yeah. um, and so when we look at prevention it, marathoners mentality consistency um, and knowing what the health behaviors are and then um, you know if you want to have a conversation with the healthcare healthcare provider about prevention not everyone is um, as well versed as others about about some risk calculators that we use in cardiology at least and then some other preventive testing I'll tell you just from the patients that I see more and more primary care providers are aware of some tests like coronary artery calcium scoring Yes. And so that is a powerful test to help us assess risk in our patients. Yeah. What does and that actually tell you? So it's a, it, we all develop plaque like I described earlier. As plaque matures, it calcifies. It's part of the atherosclerotic biologic process. And um, a simple CT scan, that's a, the radiation exposure of a chest x-ray, so not very much radiation, no IVs, no dye can see things that we can't necessarily see from assessing a risk factor profile. It's available in our community. Insurance companies aren't covering it now, but um, it's part of the, it's part of a workup in the American College of Cardiology and the American Heart Association guidelines for prevention for reassignment of risk in patients when we're trying to make decisions about cholesterol medicine and different other pharmacologic strategies for prevention. And so I add that to, you know, if I do a stress test on somebody, I say you still need a coronary calcium score. And it's almost proof positive that they have this problem that they didn't know they had because so often a stress test gives them reassurances, which it should, but there's also underlying risk. And there's certain cutoffs that tell us if you're at higher or lower risk. Okay. I think we have Ethel on the line with a question for Hopefully you. Hopefully it's not one of my patients. <laughs> Ethel, what is your question for Dr. Davis? Yes. I have a question about the coronary screening test. Uh, it's a test, I think, to determine the, how much calcium is in the blood. Yeah. It is and not... And I, I want... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well... It's not a test about calcium in the blood. It's a test of how much calcium has been, or how much calcified plaque you have. So it's not a blood test. It's a CT scan, and it reflects how much plaque you have in your heart arteries. All right. Is that a test, a screening test, that I can request on my own, or do I have to have a doctor's referral for it? Right now, you need to have a doctor's referral because it's a radiology test, and so, but you can request it from your primary care doctor. There are several places in town that, that do this routinely. 
Um, and, and if they're not familiar with it, then you can simply call and, and ask to see a cardiologist and, and we can arrange those things for you. There are some caveats with it. There are some patients that, that um, we know are at increased risk of having coronary calcium and that may not be the best test for you. But if you're, you know, anywhere from age 30 now, it, it's dropped, it was 40, anywhere from 30 to around 70. As we age, we unfortunately have this plaque and it tends to be more calcified and making decisions about who should be screened with a coronary calcium score gets a little more nuanced. I hope that oh, helps. I, I, yes, it does. I did go to my primary doctor and I requested it, and, and he appeared to not really be familiar with uh, whether uh, with the procedure as to, I mean, he knew about it, but as to uh, who, um, should I be the person for it or not, it seems that he wanted to maybe run more tests on me in order to determine if I needed to have it. So I was a little baffled. I, I just didn't know what to do, and I haven't had it yet, and I definitely want it. Well, you could, you know, you could see, I'd be happy to see you, and we could arrange, arrange a risk assessment and then determine whether adding that would uh, change what we think as far as risk goes. You know, I try to use tests when I know it's gonna affect what my recommendation would be to you. Obviously, some of the things you may have heard already apply to all of us, no matter what. Um, we all benefit from exercise and diet and those sorts of things. Uh, I think that a coronary calcium score, if you already have a stent or if you've had bypass, that's not prevention. We know you have uh, the disease process and you, we know that there are certain therapies with medicines that you should be on. Um, if you're not a heart patient already, um, then the, the calcium score could be a powerful test to help uh, assess your risk and try to prevent you from being a future heart patient. Oh, that's great. Um, so I could see you. I can uh, make an appointment to see you for this? Yes, ma'am. Okay, and um, your, um, your phone number? <laughs> 212-3858-I'm laughing because she asked me if I knew my office phone number earlier, and so fortunately I do. 212-3858. Thank you, sir, so much. You're welcome. I look forward to seeing you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And once again, I'm so glad this call came there. That was my next question. If someone, did they, can they call you directly to make an appointment, or do they need to be referred by their primary? It goes both ways. I mean, you know, patients call our office all the time and say, I just need a heart referral, you know, and a lot of times if somebody prominent, you know, has an event or somebody young has an event, then all of a sudden their friends are flocking in to, in, to, all, to the cardiology offices around town right. wanting, to, wanting to make sure if he can have it, I want to make sure I don't. Yeah, that's, that's a good step to take. Yeah. And we have a Miss Hill on the line. What is your question for Dr. Davis? Hello? Hi, Miss Hill. Hi. What is your question? Uh, yes. Um, I am on a Prevostatin 20 milligrams, and um, I was just wondering, I noticed once I started that, 
that I have lost my muscles in my thighs. And is that something that's normal when you're on a statin drug? Or is there something you can do to improve the muscles in your legs? But it makes it very uh, terrible when you, like if you were to get down on the floor, it's hard to get up. And um, I know that that's something that happens with statin drugs, but is there something you can do to correct it? Certainly, you should talk to your talk to your doctor about this specifically. Statins, absolutely. Every day, we talk to our patients about muscle aches, joint pains, and it is the most common symptom. We refer to it as SAM, statin-associated muscle symptoms. And um, if you're losing muscle mass and muscle strength. Uh, and you're on Pravastatin 20, you should certainly talk to your doctor, not take my advice without knowing more about things. I give my patients statin holidays, ask them to stop it for four to six weeks and see if symptoms resolve. Coenzyme Q10, which is an over-the-counter supplement, can help reduce muscle symptoms. There are some blood tests that can be done to make sure you don't have other muscle processes that are going on uh, when you're on a statin uh, or other rheumatologic things that can cause muscle weakness like that. And so I think that with those sorts of symptoms, it'd be wise for you to have that discussion. You know, statins are powerful medicines to reduce the risk of events, but some patients can't take them and we have to accept that. I tell my patients, you're, if you're a Ford F-150 and you show up to the Ford dealership, they know what parts to put in and the truck doesn't have any opinion about that. You replace the part, you move on. But we're, we're complex humans um, and some people have statin biases. My, we, we play tug of war with our patients a lot because as cardiologists we know they're powerful medicines. I personally take statins in periods of time I ask myself are my joints hurting because I'm 50 or is it the, is it the, the medicine so I stop the medicine and the joints still hurt and so I guess it's because I'm 50 so I think you should have a conversation with your doctor okay um, I would also like to know where where is your office located at Willis Knight and Pyramont. So there's a medical arts building right next to Willis Knight and Pyramont Hospital, and, and that's where our practice is, and that's where my, I practice there. Okay, so do you still have an open patient um, calendar? Do you still see new patients? Yes, ma'am. That's the lifeblood of our practice. And that's a good thing. Okay, well, I appreciate your help, and I enjoyed visiting with you. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you again, Ms. Hill, for calling. Good luck. And so tell us while we're talking about, oh, we have Don on the line. Don, what is your question for Dr. Davis? Hi, uh, thank you for your program. Um, <clears throat> what would one expect uh, if they came in for a thorough checkup? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm recall or seeing, heard of, uh, with my father, the stress test, and uh, do y'all still do that? Uh, on the treadmill or and then I understand that some patients can't do that they do one chemically I think uh, I'm, I'm not 
well versed on that, or, or is that as accurate as doing the one on stress test? Just all what tests do y'all do to thoroughly check your heart? And in that test that you mentioned about the calcium, I believe you said it's not covered by insurance. What is the charge for that? Yeah, the, so I think stress testing, to understand that, is it's a screening test for blockage. And so th there's two ways to stress the heart, and one is on the treadmill, we try to get your heart rate up by having you exercise. And if there's orthopedic things that limit that, then we can move to these chemical stress tests. The statistics on stress tests is that they're 80 to 90% accurate for detecting clinically significant blood flow problems with the heart. So it's not 100% accurate but it is a good screening test. As far as the coronary artery calcium score, um, it's an out-of-pocket, about $105 in most places in town, so it's um, not prohibitively expensive, but there is some cost to that. Um, and, and when we're evaluating our heart patients and making decisions about testing, um, it's, it's, it, we're in a symptom-driven business, and so it's an evaluation of symptoms and then an assessment and appropriate testing. And so symptoms, the, these calcium scores are really for asymptomatic patients to assess risk. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for calling and we wish you the best of luck too. Dr. Davis, thank you so much. I could talk to you all day about this. <laughs> and thank you so much to all of our callers and all of our viewers. This has really been important information about prevention and taking care of our hearts and our lifestyle and, and changing everything for the best. Is there one thought you'd like to leave us with? Uh, an apple a day keeps the doctor away and 30 minutes of exercise every day can save your life. Right. And step two to that apple like you. Don't just take it with you to work. You have to eat it too. That's exactly right. I will right. eat my apple this afternoon. Apple. All right. Thank you, doctor. All right. Thank you everyone for watching us today. We'll see you next time on Healthline 3. Enjoy your afternoon.